Today's Bible passages are from Exodus chapters 3, 7 and 12. And they're printed in news about if you'd like to read along with me. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Debusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say, everything I command you and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbour, 
having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go. And also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. Heavenly Father, as we um, again uh, put our minds and our imaginations into the text of Exodus and we ponder your magnificence, your amazing sovereignty, your great rescue of your people. We ask, dear God, that we would see ourselves in the rescue plan of Almighty God, that you have launched a mission for us, that you have sent a saviour to leave us, to lead us out of sin and slavery and condemnation, none other than the Lord Jesus. And so, dear God, as we meditate upon this, may we be enriched in our own spiritual lives, we pray. In the name of Christ. Amen. So we're into this this next part, our third part of this little potted version of some of the bits and pieces out of Exodus. And some of the backstories say that what have we got? We've got Israel now being enslaved in, uh, in Egypt, that Pharaoh has seen them as a, a potential workforce. It was really interesting as you read through the Bible and as you track this through, you think, oh, my goodness, how did that happen, you know? Oh, if, if must, it sounds like it was a bit of an accident that somehow God was, you know, that they turned up there and this thing happened and maybe God wasn't looking and all those kinds of things. Very interesting when we go back, we go back into Genesis chapter 15. God is speaking to Abraham at the very beginning of him to be the founder of the people of Israel. This is what God says to Abraham, Genesis 15 13. This is right toward the beginning of the Bible. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that, for, straight up, right at the beginning of Moses' calling, uh, of Abraham's calling, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved, and they will be mistreated there. And I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And after, afterward, they'll come out with great possessions. The whole events of Exodus were no surprise to God Almighty. He knew exactly how history was going to be unfolded and how exactly he was going to show himself to be Yahweh, God of the Bible. And, of course, the Israelites... Uh, Migrate, we believe, probably down if we're looking at Genesis 47, 13, out of a need for famine. And this is what, of course, brings Joseph, who was mistreated, and then his brothers and family. 
Genesis 47.13 says, There was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. And we know that Joseph finds himself through uh, pretty appalling circumstances down in Egypt. And now he then becomes the prime minister of Egypt under King Pharaoh. And that, that Pharaoh, we believe, died in about uh, 1805. Then a new Pharaoh rises up who didn't know Joseph. And uh, this, the people of Israel are enslaved and they call out to God for help. So now we're down to about 1526, uh, the history timeline that I was following. Moses is born, we think, in 1526 or thereabouts BC. God sends the plagues. How many years later we can work it out? Remember to go backwards. Moses is how old when he gets the call at the burning bush? He was 80. So if you can do your mathematics backwards at 1526, would have been what year when he was called to lead Israel and to confront Pharaoh? Remember, it's tricky. We're going back to zero. So who, who thought it was going to be 1446? Give yourself a lolly. So he confronts Pharaoh. The plagues are done. The Red Sea is crossed and they begin their wilderness wanderings and where we see God sending quail and manna. So somewhere around about 1446 to 1406, they wander through the wilderness um, as we look at Moses, I just want to make one observation. Uh, he was a basket case from the beginning, all right? And the good news is, the good news for you is if God can use him as a basket case, he can use you as well, all right? Turn to the person next to you say, that must comfort you. <laughs> Go on, turn to the person and say, that must be good news for you. Tell Lois, someone turn around and tell Lois. Now reply back to them. It must have even been more comfort for you. Go on, get back at them. More comfort. God can use a basket case to do his will. He can use you. So as we know, as we followed last week's story, Moses adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Amazing how God was in that. Raised in the palace, observed what it meant to lead a nation, visited his people, saw someone being abused. He killed an Egyptian, buried him in the sand, then went away, way, way away, right down into the area of Midian, 400 kilometres southeast, and he became a shepherd for 40 years at the age of 42, his father-in-law Jethro. And he learnt, of course, in the courts of Pharaoh how to lead God's people. And he learnt in the paddocks or the wilderness how to lead sheep through that area. So he was commissioned to go and talk to Pharaoh. Uh, he lacks confidence as a communicator. Lacks confidence as a communicator. So in uh, one of our readings in chapter 7, verse 30, it talks about he has faltering lips. So God has a plan for that. He sends his brother Aaron, who's three years older than him, to be with him. So these two geezers, 180, 183, are called to do some great work with Pharaoh. So we, we, all, we all make excuses. Moses had killed a person, buried them. Moses 
was 80 years old and Moses had faltering lips and was a poor communicator to the extent that somebody actually had to go with him and speak on his behalf. Now, Moses had all those reasons where he couldn't have done the will of God and we make excuses ourselves. What excuses do you rely on that stop you stepping into the plan and purposes and power of God for your life? Moses could have said, I'm too old. Moses could have said, you'd never move me. I'm actually a murderer. I obviously can't lead God's people a murderer. Then he could have said, uh, you know, I'm a terrible communicator, yet you want me to go and communicate persuasively to the greatest powerful human being in the known world at the time. You want me to go into his courts, you want me to confront him, you want me to overpower him with whatever, with my communication about what God wants to do. He makes excuses. But the reality is that if God can use a basket case to do his will, he can use us as well. And so that's what happened. These two old geezers trotted off at 80 and 83 and they began a process which would take them 40 years to get God's people to the edge of the promised land. And so we see this series of confrontations uh, where they would go and confront people. Uh, Pharaoh, they would say, let God's people go. Let them go. Let them go out into the wilderness and worship them. Then Pharaoh would say, no. And then, of course, a plague of some sort would come and then he would say, well, yes, okay, you can go. But then, of course, he would harden his heart. Now, the scripture says three things about Pharaoh's heart. It says Pharaoh's heart was hardened. It says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And it said Pharaoh hardened Pharaoh's heart. So there's this interplay of him going through this cycle of ten plagues and hardening his heart. And eventually, even when he lets them go, and they go out into the wilderness, they cross the Red Sea, uh, he chases after them because he has uh, regretted the fact that his slave labour force has just left the building. So God shows his sovereign power. It's very interesting that God systematically, if, you're, if you follow those readings, uh, that God systematically shows that he is God, that he, in a sense, he wants to demonstrate to Egypt and it's pantheon of gods that he in fact was much greater than them so he systematically humiliates the Egyptian gods now you think why are these kind of plagues why would these plagues very very interesting let's have a look at them what they were okay so that we see that the, the first one was a, pl a plague of blood where the river turned to that then there became a plague of frogs I think some naturalists would like to see that in Australia it would be a good indicator of our environment then there was a plague of gnats. Then there was a plague of flies. Then the livestock began to die. Then there was a plague of boils, plague of hail, plague of locusts, plague of darkness, and of course then the terrible and last plague, the plague of the firstborn. That's very interesting as we look at that. It's very strange things. Why would God send flies and gnats and rivers and livestock? What? This is really a bit bizarre, really. But it's not at all bizarre when you realise that the Egyptians had these as their gods. 
Next one. Can I have the next slide, please? It's uh, not working for me. And so we see that the, the Egyptians have the, these many gods. They had a god of the River Nile called Harpy. So God turned it to blood. They had a god, a god called Hecate, is the goddess of fertility. So God sent frogs. They had a god of the earth, Geb. So God sent lice. They had a god of creation and rebirth. Uh, Kepri, so God sent flies. They had a god called Hathor, the goddess of love and protection. So God killed the livestock. Next slide, please. They had a god, Isis, the god of medicine and peace. So God sent boils. They had a god called Newt, which is the goddess of the sky. So God sent hailstones. They had a god called Seth, the god of storm and disorder. So God sent locusts. They had a, a, a god called Ra, who was the sun god. So God sent darkness. And then they had Pharaoh ultimate power in Egypt and God struck down the firstborn including his own in his own home so can you see what's happening here all the things that the Egyptians thought well this these things matter to us this is our worldview these are the gods we worship God humiliated that pantheon of gods to say there is but one God the God of Israel is the true God the overcoming, the overpowering, the victorious God. And even in this, in this powerful place, this Egypt and in, in the capitals of Egypt where these things were just proliferated, God's poor enslaved people were on the winning side and God would show Pharaoh and Egypt that he was in fact God. Then they went on this junket. If we can have our next slide, please. So they went on this thing. Uh, we've got a new little thing here with a laser. You like that? I like it. I'm going to use it a lot. right? And so they, they head off and uh, they cross uh, the Red Sea somewhere up here and they go down through this wilderness. And, of course, then they lose the plot, don't they? They get up here and then they wander around for 40 years. And God feeds them with manna and quail, which you have to pay a lot for these days if you go to one of those fancy pants restaurants, you know, these little breads and quail. It's, sort of like, it's a pretty hobnob meal, really. And uh, Moses gets to the very end and isn't allowed to go in because of the disobedience. But God takes them out and uh, they, what they call despoil the Egyptians and they take all the, they plunder them and take their goods. If we can have our next slide, please. Thank you. Now, as we think about this, you thought it's a nice history lesson. Thank you for that, Larry. I'm very much now informed about all the history. It was a very interesting little lecture on the plagues and all that sort of stuff. Got nothing to do with my life. However, you might be thinking that. Of course, you'd never say that to me to my face. You might whisper it to somebody at morning tea. But I want to just say that, you know, we see here in the parallel of the Israelites and the parallel of uh, God rescuing them so, so many parallels in their own Christian life. You know, there they were in bondage and in slavery. But the Bible's very clear. We were enslaved to sin, in living in darkness under the influence and lordship of the God of this world, Satan himself. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, 18, He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. And in John 8, 36, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so we, 
who are not slaves in Egypt. We are not slaves under some emperor somewhere. But friends, we are by nature and by behaviour and by thoughts and actions. We are slaves of sin. We know it, don't we? And what Jesus has done by coming into this world, he has set us free. He has taken the punishment that we deserve. So sin has no power over us anymore. The consequences of our sin have been taken upon us by Jesus. And if we rely on him and depend upon him in a daily basis and rely on him to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that every, in every moment we can walk in victory from moment from moment from day to day because of the power of God living in us. And so we are set free at that level as well. We can live victoriously, moment from moment. Yes, and we will fall down. But yes, we have a saviour who restores us yet again. And so we can war against our own sinful nature. And we can allow God to have the rulership in that. So they were in bondage and slavery and so are we. But I declare to you in Jesus' name, you have been set free. You have been forgiven. And your place in the eternal, the eternal place of God, the promised land of living in God's presence forever, that is yours. And it is guaranteed because of your faith in Christ. Then, of course, we have the great villain of the peace here. We have the oppressor. We have Pharaoh and his magicians. No doubt about it. The magicians tended to be able to match these things uh, Demonic power is very real. And so being in tune with demonic power, being in tune with false gods, the magicians were able to replicate certain things that happened. And so Pharaoh, with a court of magicians, inspired and empowered by demonic forces, uh, we have, however, been oppressed by Satan. But Jesus has won the victory. Jesus has died on the cross and set us free and raised again. And I really encourage you to read on at the, toward the end of the Bible and see when the forces of Satan are arrayed against the forces of God on that great day. And it just says, God slew them with the breath of his own voice. It's just over. We're on the winning side. Satan has been defeated. He knows he's defeated. He's filled with rage. He's trying to do as much destruction. But friends, we're on the winning side. We will spend forever together. Our enemy Satan has been defeated and will eventually be cleaned up by Almighty God. And there they were enslaved and dying far from the promised land. But brothers and sisters, when you close your eyes in death, you will enter the promised land. When you in faith, Close your eyes for the last time and you breathe your last and you say, my hope is in him. I have committed to him against that day, which I know that he will hold and honour that. When you get to that point, unless he returns first, when you get to that point and you die and you commit your life to Christ, you will enter from this world and you will enter into the presence of God and there you will spend eternity. Hallelujah, glory to God. You have the victory. Death has lost its sting. Jesus has overcome the grave. Our death, we don't die in some God-forsaken corner of the world under the oppression of some megalomaniac. When we die, we enter through the gate of glory because of Jesus' death and resurrection. We are entered into the presence of God. 
And that is what we need to believe and that is the way that we need to bury each other as a church. We need to stand up and proclaim the victory of Christ over each other. And we don't mourn as other people in the world do. We do mourn because we love and lose people, but we don't mourn ultimately because we know that the people that we love are in the presence of God. And so that is what we believe. Our death brings us eternal reward. We are in God's place, God's people, under his rule forever. And, of course, they were dragged out of Egypt. And, of course, we've been dragged out of the kingdom, a different kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. I want to read to you uh, just one section of Colossians when Paul writes to them in chapter 1, starting at verse 12 for two verses, he says, And giving joyful thanks to the Father, who, he's talking to you, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. That's your destiny. Isn't that an awesome passage? Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. He's qualified you. You're going to share in the inheritance of God. He has rescued you from the kingdom of darkness. He has brought you into the kingdom of the Son that He loves, the kingdom of love and light and redemption, and you have the forgiveness of sins. I declare to you in Jesus' name, your sins are forgiven. I declare to you in Jesus' name, you have inheritance. I declare in Jesus' name that you have been redeemed and that your destiny is with Almighty God because that's what the Scripture says out of the kingdom of darkness. And we are people that have been marked by the blood of the Lamb. Next, just our next slide. We're people that have been marked by the... I don't need to labour this because we go over this thing quite often in our church. But what did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Some goat in Egypt over a doorpost but the very Lamb of God marked over the doorposts of our heart and soul. His blood covers us. So on the great day of judgment, the angels of judgment will pass over us and we have been redeemed. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me in the same way after supper. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Next slide, please. And so we rejoice in the salvation. Now, there were three children from Jochebed, weren't there? We've got Moses and we've got Miriam and we've got Aaron. They're the ones we know about. Okay. Well, they get across. This is, the, this is what happens when the people of God understand that they're saved, they rejoice. And so we've been saved. So our disposition on a week-by-week -week basis as we gather together, should be one of rejoicing. Chapter 15 says, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. It's the song of Moses and Miriam, it's called. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver have been hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defence. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army 
have been hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea because God's people were saved then and we continue to be saved now. And so just our last slide. God can use a basket case like Moses. He can use you. Sometimes you feel like a bit of a basket case, don't you? Yeah? Maybe I do. Maybe I'm the only person that does. We're going to get the band up. I'm going to get you to stand. I'm going to pray for us that we get a belief that God wants to do something great from us. doesn't matter if we're an old geezer like uh, Moses. Can't speak. Done things wrong. God's still got a plan for your life. If you've done things that you think disqualify you, I've got good news for you. They haven't. They have not disqualified you from serving the Lord. And he's cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. You stand forgiven because of the blood of the Lamb. God's got a purpose for your life. He's got a plan for your life. He's got the empowering spirit of God that can get you where he wants you to be. You might think, but I don't offer much. Maybe I... Maybe it's faltering lips like Moses, something else. Once God gets a hold of you, he can do great things. The most unlikely person plucked out of the reeds, shaped by God, used mightily by him. Our Heavenly Father, sometimes we're full of doubts and insecurities and guilt mistakes sometimes Lord we feel like I've been living in a wilderness for 40 years but Lord you still call our name every single one of us Lord has been called had a revelation of God Moses had his burning bush and we've had moments of faith where we've heard the voice of very of God very clearly and dear God, we want to be open and responsive to that voice. You have called us, Lord. You have redeemed us. You have plucked us out of the kingdom of darkness and you have transferred us into the kingdom of light of your wonderful Son. For that we are eternally grateful. And here we are, Lord. We're just willing to be used. We don't know what you want to do with us, Lord, but every day as we step out, it might be a conversation in a supermarket. Might be an active charity to somebody who looks like they're down at the heel. Can be any small thing or something large, but a life lived in worship and gratitude to you. So in Jesus' name, Lord, standing before you as a church full of basket cases and a pastor who's the biggest basket case in the place. And we just say, Lord, here we are. Use us. Amen. Well, Miriam sang a great song because salvation drives us to want to praise God. So if you love the Lord, if you know you're saved, we're going to sing this great song together.